0: Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Great day to be in the house of the Lord. So glad that you're watching us online. So glad that you are here in church with us this morning. Can we stand together and to read the Word of God? We're reading out of Numbers chapter 13. Let's just honor the Word of God today. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. And whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes." I'm going to do a series today, just over the next couple of weeks, called On Ramps and on, Off Ramps to Your Purpose, or On Ramps and Off Ramps to Your Destiny. Purpose, people trying to find their purpose, is one of the number one things searched for on social media. People are like, what is my life about? Why, why am I here? You know, why am i on the planet? Purpose is something great to walk in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it's designed to change us from the inside out. That's what we pray for. Lord, we want to leave better than we came in. I pray for the people in the room. I pray for people online that, Holy Spirit, you'd work with us to hear specifically the word that you're tailor-making for us. Speak to us individually and speak to us collectively, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. You can be seated. High five the person beside you. Tell them how fantastic they're looking today or how blessed they are to be sitting beside you. They they, they say there are two great days that you will experience in your life. Uh, The first is the day you were born. And they say the second one is the day that you discover why. Why am I on the planet? I think for me, one of the great revelations when I became a Christian was actually discovering that God had a why, that there was a reason and there was a purpose and there was a plan that God had for me. I found out that parts of my personality were actually there by God's design. Things that I admired in somebody else's personality and sort of wish that were in mine but weren't in mine were actually not in mine by God's design and in them by God's design. In Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul lists out seven motivational gifts. It sounded like my voice was about to break. did not it sound like I've gone through puberty, just saying? It was really delayed. Yeah, it's all the young people in the front rows. It's flowing over. But Paul lists out seven... Seven motivational gifts. Uh, Some theologians would call these the grace gifts. In other words, you have these gifts whether you're a Christian or not. You, You have the God has put these gifts in your life whether you ever use them in God's kingdom or not. Now he designed them and he put them in you to be connected with what he created you to do. So they're a part of God's design in you. They're the hardwiring of your personality and, and your, like, if you like, your thinking, your, your emotions, your will DNA, the soul DNA of your body. He lists them out, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhorting, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and the gift of mercy. These seven motivational gifts are in you, and they are why you love some things and why you absolutely hate others. They are why you're good at certain things and why you're not good at others. We are today doing our Life Connect class. If you're not a part of the membership of our church, you should do that. Uh, and not a part of our church family, you should do that to get our, our vision and our values. But in that, and today specifically, we're helping people discover their God-given gifts. What is God Gifted you to do what's in your personality, so we can get people serving in the right spot. So we don't have round pegs serving in square holes, we can get the right people doing the right things. Like the gift of teaching and the gift of exhorting are two very different things. The gift of exhorting is like, Woohoo! Yeah! Awesome! And the gift of teaching is about accuracy. And the gift of teaching wants it to be accurate and to be right. And so you want to make sure that when you're, you know, on the front door having greeters to the church, we've got the right people on the door. You, you you want the gift of exhortation on the door. Welcome to Word of Life. Great to see you this week. It's easy for them to smile. Yes. Welcome home. Hey, Somebody on the door like that, that makes you feel good when you've come through the lot, you get here, you come to the door and they're greedy. you. Want the gift of uh, exhortation on the door. You probably don't want the gift of teaching, the gift of accuracy. Not that those people are mean, but they just value accuracy more than an encouragement. So you walk to the door, and they're like, hey, welcome. Do you know what service this is? You're like, what? It's the 1130 service. You know why we call it the 1130 service? And you're like, no, why? Because it starts at 1130. That's why we call it the 11.30 service. Now, if we called it the 11.45 service, you'd be on time. (laughs) But it's not 11.30 now, it's 11.45. Don't worry too much, you've only missed 15 minutes of worshipping God. (laughs) But I don't think he noticed. So slip in the back and welcome. It's always good to have a first time guest. You, You don't... You don't want that person on, on, on the door. You, you want that person helping you with the finance. You don't want the gift of exhortation, counting the money. Like, you don't want the gift of exhortation, like, woohoo! We got the cash! And, and they throw it up in the air and they go, what stays up is God's and what comes down is ours. You, you, you want the gift of, you want the gift of, of teaching in there so it keeps you out of jail and keeps you on, on track. But here's the truth. Life, Takes our soul off course from God's original plan. Romans chapter twelve says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed. The world has squeezed you or molded you or shaped you into an image, and it's the way you think about yourself, it's the way you process things, it's the way you see life. And God says, don't be conformed to that image any longer. When you get born again, you've got an opportunity to renew your mind, change the way you think, reshape yourself to become the person God created you to be. Now, when I got saved, there were things in me that I had accepted that were me, that actually God never intended to be a part of me. They are in me because that's the way life had shaped me, but that was not what God had created me to be. There are also things that I had never considered as being possible for me, that God had destined for me that I had never seen. And they're a shock. I remember when I first got saved and I was a brand new Christian and, and I went to this meeting and they're doing prayer and they're prophesying over people and it's all happening. It's a Holy Ghost meeting, you know, and I remember this guy coming over and, and prophesying pretty much everything I'm doing today. He, he prophesied like 40 years ago, but 40 years ago when, when he prophesied over me, I was like, yeah, you're an idiot. Like I thought he had the prophetic insight of a rock. Because how you could look at me and say that I had never thought in my life that this would be possible. But obviously God had bigger plans than I had in my thinking. And so God's able to say, this is where you're heading, even though I couldn't see the journey. Things were possible that I never thought were possible. And there are also things that I had abandoned as being possible. Things that I maybe had earlier thought I could do. That I gave up on doing because life has a way of shaping you into an image that's off track with God's plan for your life. And so God says, I don't want you to be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can prove, you can show, you can display what is that good, that acceptable, and that perfect will of God for your life. You are not a cosmic accident. You are created by intention. Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. God creates plans for us. He says, I I plan for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and I hope. So we can lock into the fact that we are the intention of God. We are created for purpose. We are stamped with destiny. We are called by name. We are not an afterthought of the creator. The scripture says here, it says, Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. I I believe that we've got to get that mentality that today is the season for the first ripe grapes grapes that, that 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 season or that mentality that today is the day that the Lord has made that God made the day there are grapes out there and I'm taking the grapes even my my my, my grandson uh, Marcus I played some of the songs watermelon meow meow, meow, and stuff like that but there's one song on there I actually introduced him to I don't think his mother's happy with me or his nan, or his anybody else. But I don't know if you heard that song. You know, the duck walked up to the lemonade stand, and he said to the man, right on the stand, hey, got any grapes? Anyone heard that? Annie, away. a little to, you got you to look it up. It'll change your life. It's a, and I think on YouTube somewhere, there's like a 12-hour version of that, that song. Just play it, to your, play it to your grandparents. I love it. But we've got to have that mentality of, hey... Got any grapes? What are the opportunities? If this is the season and the time for ripe grapes, how can I maximize every moment? We are, you and I, are becoming the sum, sum total of our days. They... they I try to teach you in school that you're the sum total of yourselves and that you don't matter, but you do matter. You have value. You were created for purpose and you are going to be the sum total of your days. That's your life. You're going to answer to God for that one day. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking under Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Let us run our race. My race is not your race. I'm not running against you, and you're not running against me. We are running this different races. My path, my call is not your path or your call, and your call is not mine. Your path is not mine. I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give him an account for what I did with my race. Equally, you're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to give... An account of what you did for your race. And this race is the race you don't want to come second place. It's not the race that you want to lose. Why? Because you're the only competitor. You don't want to lose a race where you're the only one on the field. You don't want to do laps and come back in and we go, How'd you go with the race? And you're like, oh. I didn't win. Where, where did you come? Dead last. Well, how'd you? What, what happened? Who, who were you running against? Were they fast? No, nah, no one else out there. It was just me and the wind. But I, but I, but I think I came last. No, you, the, the race where you are the only, you want to be the best that you could possibly be. I think that was a life changer for me at salvation when I realized that God wasn't asking me to be somebody else or try to reflect. God's like, no, just be you. Be the best version of you. Be the best you that you could possibly be. That's what God has called you to do. But our race has one common element, and the common element is Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our race. Jesus is the author and the finisher of Our faith. Jesus began it, and if he began it, he is well able to complete it. He who began a good work in you is faithful. He can complete it. Now, the race is not a sprint. Destiny is not one location. The life race is a marathon. The finish line is not located at the first checkpoint. The finish line's located in heaven. And there are a variety of checkpoints along the way. Life has a series of checkpoints. Destiny is not a single location, but destiny is the sum total of the destinations that you've passed through in life. And so life has seasons, and you're in a season right now, and that season's going to end. Some of you, uh, in a season, you're in high school, and at some point, high school's going to end. That's a part of your destiny. It's making up who you are, and then you're going to go off to college, or you're going get, to get a job, and you're going to pass through checkpoints that God is using, and you hit those as part of the destiny that God has created you to achieve. And so destiny's not like this one dot that we're trying to hit. I'm gonna talk a lot more about that next week. But it's like a a, a series of things we're gonna check through. So there were things in your life that you could do in your twenties that you can't do now you're eighty. It doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make you less called. It doesn't make you have less value. It doesn't do have anything negative about you. It's just there were checkpoints you could hit when you were 20 that you don't hit at 80. Life has changed. So you have to consistently reinvent yourself. You have to consistently go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do? If this is the season for ripe grapes, how do you want me to live in it? Because maybe the next season's a season for ripe watermelons and I got to live in that or ripe apples. Whatever the season is, you've got to discover, God, what have you called me to do and how can I live out my destiny in you? That's our our objective, to go into the presence of God and say, God, I live my life, and I I ran the race. I, 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 I kept the faith. And to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear when we get to heaven. Numbers 13 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man every one a chief among them so moses said listen i want you to give me leaders i want you to give me chiefs people that are influencing other people leadership leaders and i want you to send them in to spy out the land the land that i'm giving them is full of purpose it's full of possibility it's full of potential god actually calls it the promised land so God says I'm giving you the promised land and we know that the promises of God are yes and amen God says I'm giving you the promised land but here's the challenge life presents us with opposition God says, here's what I want you to do. We go about trying to do it, but life tends to give us opposition. It creates distraction. It creates discouragement. It creates multiple deviations and detours to try to take us off the track that God has intended us to live on. So Moses said, we're going to go in and we're going to take this land. But before we go in, we should probably spy it out. And so he uh, sends them in to check it out. Jesus taught this. He said, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? So Jesus is saying, listen, when it comes to destiny and it comes to walking in in faith, uh, it's okay to take some time out and consider the cost, to consider the obstacles, to consider consider the challenges. You've got to know what you're walking into And he's encouraging them to do what uh, we would call in leadership now a SWOT analysis. S W O T, a SWOT analysis, a leadership principle. What are the strengths and what are our weaknesses? What are the opportunities? What are the threats? And so he's sending the 12 spies in and says, listen, I want you to go and check it out. I want you to look at the promised land and come back after you've done the SWOT analysis and tell me what you see. In verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or whether they are many. I want to know whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. I I want to know whether the cities that they dwell in, are they in tents or are they in in towers? Are they in camps or strongholds? Is the land rich or is it poor? Are there trees in it or is there a lack of trees? Twelve men go into the same location and they come back with two very, very different responses. Tribe leaders, chiefs, go into the same land, they come back. Ten men couldn't see the size of the possibilities because they were overwhelmed by the size of the challenge. Two men couldn't see the size of the challenge because of the size of the possibility. So it's not always what you see that determines what you get. Sometimes it's how you see, what you see, that determines what you see that really matters. Dale Carnegie uh, was a motivational speaker, a leadership trainer. In his book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, is famous for this quote, Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw the mud, the other stars. You can look out at the exact same thing and see it two different ways. The children of Israel allowed 10 men to take them off course. You have to guard your destiny from people taking you off course. There are well-meaning people who will take you off course. And then there are people who are, well, they're just mean, who will also take you off course. I know a time where two men took a whole group of people off course it was back in Australia. It was about, I don't know, 35 something years ago. In Australia, especially back then in church, like picnics and things were big and they would do a thing called the car rally. I'm not really sure whether you do that in America. I've not done one since I've been here. Probably good reason. But the car rally is that you all turn up at a certain location and they hand you directions that you've got to follow. And the directions aren't like logical they're all like cryptic they're like you got to try to read what the clue is and so you try to read the clue and you follow the clues and you follow the series like if we're going to do a car rally here and you had to go down back like road uh you would maybe put you know I don't know that the clue would be go down the road where it's really horrible that someone would do that to your back rather than scratch it Go go down the road where licking the back seems cool. Like like something something nasty like that, or then you'd come past the church and you go past you know a big stained glass Jesus out the front here, and you'd say you know uh, tell us the the uh, nationality of, of Jesus, and depending on what time of the day, he's brown Jesus, black Jesus, or pure white, no coordinated uh, Jesus. At some point, it, it's like surfy Jesus, and so you're looking for these. So that's what we did. We did a car rally at Christian Outreach Centre. It was given the responsibility to myself and Pastor Paul Bahane to put the car rally together. I was the youth pastor, and so it's usually the thing that they give youth pastors as punishment for the rest of the world. (laughs) And so we did. We we made this great car rally, and they would meet us in this park. And in the park, my friend Paul and I were waiting in in a pond, in a small lake, and we had wetsuits on. We had wetsuits and goggles in a park in the city. People were taking wedding photos, were not happy with these two random guys in a park in wetsuits in the city. We had to pretend we were looking for something. And the, the leaving the church and finding us in the park was about a 30-minute drive. And so we were anticipating people to turn up pretty quickly. Well, we had to write the clues out. And so you came down Dalrymple Road, it turned sharp to the left and went on West Dalrymple Road, and when you went on West Dalrymple Road, it veered around to the right and went straight ahead. But on this road, and, and the reason you have to turn left is, is there's a road that goes here, like a, like a track or something, and there's a big, not a sign, but a barrier. to say You know, you don't go through the barrier. There's a big barrier. You could drive around it, but don't go through the barrier. Turn left on West Alrymple Road. And so we, the, the clue was, go west, young man, go west. That's the clue. Make sense? West on Dow Ripper Road. Turn and then you go on this other road. Well, this other road was crazy. There's like offshoots and there's roundabouts and there's all sorts of ways that you could go. And so we we put in the next clue is please go straight ahead. Please do not deviate to the left or to the right. Please make sure you stay on track, even if you're tempted to go left, even if you're tempted to go right, even if your brain tells you it's foolish to keep moving forward, keep going ahead, keep going ahead. And then they went to the next clue. Well, we took all those clues back to the church to lay out the car rally. And as we were laying it out, um, I, I looked at Paul and I was like, what a dumb clue. Go west, young man. Go west. That just seems to me like a really, really dumb clue. And so we left it out of the directions. There's a bigger oh. Everyone should be like, oh. How many say it again? And we left it out of the directions. Yeah, boy. like, oh. <laughs> (laughs) And so these cars came up to this roadblock where they're going to turn left on West Dalrymple Road, go west, young man, and we eliminate that. So the next clue is, go straight ahead. Do not go to the left or to the right. Go straight ahead. Even if your wisdom or even if your mind tells you you should go left, ignore it. Go straight ahead. Trust us. And so the church people didn't go left, they went around the barrier straight ahead, down a dirt road. Now, to be fair on us, to be fair, I did not realize that that road was so narrow and was on the side of a mountain. I did not know that. I also did not know that along that side of the mountain, as people were trying to stay on the track, there were all sorts of prickle bushes that would scratch their new cars. I also did not know that at the other end of the road was a shooting range for rifles and that they were driving down the target end of a shooting range. I sent church people down a road where they were getting shot at. We didn't know that they were going down that road until like 45 minutes or an hour past. We're in the pond in our wetsuits, and I'm saying to Paul, I wonder what they did wrong to not find us where we are now. They started arriving about an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half, and they were not happy. I personally like to apologize to Mr. John Gagliardi, who was then the uh, editor of the Townsville Daily Bulletin, for any damage that may have been done to your car, your soul, or your perceptive uh, life for car uh, rallies. They were angry. Pe- people, pa- passer, he wasn't even saved. He lost his salvation somewhere on that dirt road. <laughs> I've never seen so many angry Christians in my... Uh, it's a miracle I'm here Today. It's a miracle I hear. Worst part about it is when you got to the pond and found us, that was halfway. We had another set of directions to get you to the end of the air. No one took them. They're like, tell us where we're going or we'll kill you. <laughs> so two men took a whole group of people off course. Ten people here take a whole heap of people off course. I want to talk a little bit about how to avoid and who to avoid uh, when it comes to detours and off-ramps that people can create for your destiny. Here's the first one. Don't allow uh, perceived obstacles to obliterate your opportunities. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, everyone say, "however." however. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides... We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they all dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell along the sea, along by the Jordan. What are they saying? The land is great. The land is awesome. The land that you sent us definitely does flow with milk and honey. And we're sure that some of the grapes are loaded with steroids because it has a big impact on the people of the land. They are giants. And so the land has great fruit. However, however, and that becomes the operative word. However, God says, now is the time for the season of ripe grapes. And they say, however, there are difficulties. Now, what they are seeing is absolutely accurate. They're not being deceived. What they see is actually there. But they are thinking that the promise of God is not as big as the obstacles that are there they're they're being overwhelmed by problems rather than being consumed with promise the obstacles are bigger than their opportunities we need friends who can see the mountains they don't ignore the mountains they don't they don't pretend the mountains don't exist but they 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 have the ability to speak to the mountain. Not about the mountain. We don't we don't want friends in our life that just there's a big you're about to crash into a mountain and they're like, just it's all right. No, you want somebody to go, there's a mountain. But we need people in our world who can help us speak to the mountain, not describe the mountain. We need we need people who can help us if there's a mountain there. Say, hey, let's go around. Hey, let's go over. Hey, let's dig a tunnel under it and go under it. Let's dig a tunnel through it and go through it. Let's strategically plant sticks of dynamite and obliterate the mountain rather than obliterating the opportunity. There are going to be roadblocks, they are going to be off-ramps, potentially dead ends to your destiny, and you've got to see them but refuse to take them. And we need friends in our life that can help us to see them but help also keep us on track so we don't take the off-ramp. I have one of those people in my life. She is called Anna Rebecca Morgan. She helps me take the correct off-ramp. Literally. I'm not sure if you've ever come back out of D.C. and tried to go from downtown D.C. and drive down George Washington Parkway. But when you come out of D.C. and you get back on the freeway and you're going towards uh, Richmond on the freeway and then there's three exits side by side. I think it's 13. It's like 13 C, B and A. And if you want to go down George Washington Parkway, you've got to take B. That's the, that's the off-ramp you need to take. You don't want to take C. It takes you off too early. You've got to do another half an hour of drying. You don't want to take A. I don't know where that takes you to. May, may, maybe Canada. I'm not sure where that one, where that one goes. It, it, it. But, but, but B's the one you want to take. And, 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 and Waze, Ways, she panics. Waze panics. I, I think Waze gets confused because it's like side by side. And so you're coming down and you're at A... And Waze always goes, get off now, now, take the other room now. But she is incorrect. She wants you to take the next one. She's just prophesying. (laughs) And and many times with her panic, now, I've got off on A. And I've ended up back in the city, you know, doing the whole tour. and, And then my wife will just look at me like... It's B. And so now I I as we come out of the city, I'm like, babe, tell me when to turn. I, I know I know I know when I know when to take it. I know what to do. I know it's B. Intelligently, I know it's B. But you got somebody through the speaker system, like, no, no, you panic, and just take direction. So I gotta like, ignore her, calm my spirit, and just wait for my wife to calmly look at B, and then she can go, no! Out, we we need people like that in in our our life to help us avoid the wrong off ramp. Here's the second thing surround yourself with cheerleaders and not critics. Caleb quieted the people before Moses, said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for uh, we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, nah, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. They brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. So not only are they now giving a bad report about the people, they're giving a bad report about the land that this is actually not possible. And they're saying the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people they saw in it are great in height. So two are positive, 10 are negative. Christians often take biblical names for their children. I saw something on social media this week that said, hey, Christians, please stop calling your kids biblical names. Moses tried to rob me this week. But not too many people. I'm, I'm pick, I'm guessing, Greg, when you named, uh, Luca as, as, as the, my grandson, that you didn't, you, on your list of names wasn't Shamua, Shaphat, Egal, Polti, Gadiel, Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Guel. Now, now, if you have one of those names, it's a beautiful name. <laughs> Guel is probably one of my favorite names in the world. If I'd had a son, I would have called him Guel. Because it's, it's is there any Guel's in the house? There may be a Guel watching. is beautiful. If you're watching online in, in a nation where Guel is a top 10 name of no, we love it. Knock your Guel self out. It's awesome. But we don't generally, what are the names we pick? We pick Joshua and Caleb. They're, they're the names people are, are, are running with. Why? Because these are the spies that had the positive report. We tend to name children biblical names that have some sort of like a positive aspect to them. And they're saying, let us go up once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. These men are looking at the exact. Yeah. Give the Lord a round, round of applause while you're there. I'll take a drink. They're looking at the exact same thing, but they're seeing it an absolutely different way. So we need to, we need to, if it's a season for grapes, then we need to surround ourselves with winemakers and not people who have the habit of sucking on sour grapes. If it's a season for grapes, we want people who can help us maximize our moment and not complain about the opportunity. Number three, develop a negative opinion about people who have a negative opinion. All the congregation raised a loud cry. All the people wept that night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose another leader and let us go back to Egypt. So now the negative report of the 10 spies had infected all that generation of people. And now everyone is negative. That is the reaction of negativity. It is infectious. And I encourage you, if you want to live in destiny, you've got to develop a negative opinion about people who have a negative opinion. You need to develop a negative opinion about people who always have a negative of opinion. It doesn't take a genius to find fault and negativity. It doesn't take someone who's super spiritual to find out why things are wrong. Anybody can find fault. I'm not talking about ignoring problems. At no point here did Moses encourage anybody to ignore a problem. But you don't want to inflate the problem so big through your negativity that you actually can't see a way around the problem. It becomes an obstacle. All the people grumbled and all that generation didn't see the promised land. You might like, well, it doesn't matter if my friends are negative. It doesn't It doesn't really matter. Every, everyone's going to have a couple of negative friends. Yeah, and that's true. But 10 people grumbled. 10 people had negative. All the people grumbled. And that whole generation missed the promise. So if, you, if, you, if it's more important for you to have negative people in your world than to achieve promises, then you get to choose. But the Bible says a wise man chooses his friends carefully because the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's the promised land. How can, you be, how can you be negative about something God has called the promised land? Like, how does that happen? That's like going to Disneyland and being angry that you're at Disneyland. It's like walking through the gate. Oh, why are we here at Disney World? I don't like Florida. It's sunny. I like torrential rain and snow. Why is it so sunny here in Florida? Walking through, oh, my gosh. They got mice. Look at the size of the mice. Those mice come from the promised land. They've been eating those grapes. Look at the big, that big mouse and his wife, Look, two mice. They don't have rodent killers here. Get the exterminator. Kill the mice. Like people walking, there's a duck. And he's going up to the lemonade stand. Shoot the duck. It's like, oh, why have they got cotton candy? Cotton candy's not good. They're just complaining. You don't don't want to go to Disneyland with somebody who's raining on the parade all the way through the parade. You don't want to go into the promised land with someone who's, look at that giant, look at that, but no, it's a season for ripe grapes. Let's go in and take what God has given to us. I think we need to develop a negative opinion about people who have a negative opinion about progressing about moving forward. The, the promised land was always within their grasp. It's like a few hundred mile journey. It's about a month walking. It's a 30 minute flight. And they couldn't take the steps to go back in there. Why? Because they always wanted to go backwards. And so it froze them from their destiny. There are a vast amount of people in the kingdom of God who never move forward because they want to consistently live in their past. Don't 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 allow anybody to keep you trapped in your past. You're not an ex-anything. You're a brand-new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, everything is becoming new. Don't let people label you of what you used to be before you were saved, or even if you were saved and you made a mistake. Don't let them label you on your past mistake. You are not your past mistake. You're not your past failure. You're a new creation. You're under the blood of Jesus. Today is a brand-new day of opportunity doesn't take anybody to find fault. I could find fault in you. You could find fault in me. But you, you've got to live above that. You've got to live above that. You've got to embrace what does God want to do in your future? How can I be better? I can identify that fault, but how can, if, if I need to renew my mind, and it's there, I need to renew, renew my mind, and as I renew my mind, I'm not going to be that anymore. There, there were there were ways I behaved when I was younger that I don't behave like that now, not because I'm older, it's because God has renewed my mind. So you don't be a prisoner of your past. There are churches all across America who fail to take a step forward and they are locked in their past. They've chosen to look more in the rear vision mirror than they would through the windscreen. And if you keep looking through the rear vision mirror and not in the windscreen, somewhere along the line you are going to crash. They're complaining, we want to go back to the land where we're eating leeks and onions. They want to go back to eating leeks. They're going to a land that's promised of milk and honey and they're going, no, we want le- I've met vegans who don't want to live on leeks and onions. Leeks and onions is like we're signing our destiny for eternal bad breath and always crying. Why do you want to go back to being a prisoner of bad breath and always crying with the leeks and the onions? And so you've got to keep moving forward. Develop a negative opinion about people who always have a, uh, or should I say, develop a negative opinion about people who always live in a constant state of underwhelmed. There are people that are never, never impressed by anything. They had miracle manner. They had food coming out of the sky. They're walking out of their, their, their tent in the morning and God is raining, raining manna on, on, on them. It's like walking out and they're like, it's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, don't need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos. Yum, yum, yum yum, yum. It's... It, they're complaining about super... They had, they had fire by night and cloud by day. They cross a, 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 a river. They cross a sea on dry land. They got delivered out of slavery. And they're like, ho-hum, just another miracle. No! No, it's not just another miracle. When people's lives get changed, when lives get turned around, when God does a miracle in your life, it's time to celebrate and acknowledge the goodness and the greatness of God. It's like church life. We have growth problems in church, but growth problems are the best problems to have. I'd rather have a growth problem than a subtraction problem any day. But, but, but what is God doing? It's the miracles in our life that we need to celebrate. Here's number four. Surround yourself with people uh, who have a different spirit. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt, in the wilderness, have put me to, and who have put me to the test these ten times have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers. None of those who despise me shall see it. This is God speaking. But my servant Caleb... Why? Because he has a different spirit, and he followed me fully. I will bring him into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. I'm going to send him into the land where he went, and because he saw it differently than anybody else, he's going to go in, his descendants are going to go in, and they're going to possess it. When God takes you on your journey, I want to encourage you. The will of God is good. The will of God is perfect. The will of God is acceptable. Some people will somehow try to make you feel like the will of God is difficult. It's hard. It's this little tiny thing. No, God created you to be a perfect fit in the destiny that he created you for. And when you get in it, you're in the sweet spot and go, man, I love doing this. This is awesome. You've heard me say it before, and I'm going to say it again. People ask me all the time, oh, man, it must be hard taking on a church and leading it through transition and it must be difficult. I have friends in ministry that will say that. Oh, it must be super hard. No, we're, we're walking in destiny. This is enjoyable. This is great. We feel like we're perfectly made for this moment. This is the moment God has called us to. And I want that for you, that you could be walking in a spot where you go, man, this is awesome. God, thank you for calling me to do this, whether that be in government, whether that be in the community, whether that be in ministry, wherever it is, what is the destination God is leading you to go to right now? Find it, fulfill it, and surround yourself with people who have a different spirit who can go there. And here's the benefit. When you hit God's will for your life, it's not just about you. It's about you and your descendants. Everything I do, is not just about me. That's a really small world if everything is about me. As a pastor, it's got about me and my wife and my family and my descendants. It's got about you and your partner and your descendants. It's going to be about us taking the kingdom of God and expanding it together. Here's number five. Don't see yourself through your perception of other people's reflection. Numbers 13. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to be in them. Don't, don't, don't allow people to trap you in their perception of you, but even, even more so, don't, don't trap yourself in your perception of how you see somebody out like like your reflection in somebody else's life perception is a God says to Adam and Eve who told you you were naked like who told you you couldn't do it who told you you couldn't make it who told you you were no good who told you you were too young who told you you were too old who told you you made too many mistakes who told you this who who what words got spoken into you to take you off track for being who God called you to be who does God call you to be? Who's does God call you to be? What, what's the reflection that you have? Don't read into things that, that are not there. Don't read into things. I remember a guy in church in New Zealand who, who left our church because he was angry because I didn't like his shoes. And he was convinced that I didn't like his shoes. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't even know what shoes you're wearing. Like, I'm I'm not a big shoe person. Like, I'm such a bad shoe person that I traveled recently to preach somewhere, and I took a suit, and nice, and I took two black shoes, which I thought were different shoes. But I took two different brands of shoes, but they were both the right shoe. So I took two right shoes because I didn't notice the shoes when I was packing the shoes. If I don't notice my shoes when I'm packing shoes, I'm not going to notice your shoes wearing shoes. I've met multiple people today. I can't even tell you what shoes you're wearing. And so I don't know. Maybe I looked at the ground. I was looking at a bit of dirt or a piece of paper, and he thought I was looking at his shoes. I'm not looking at your shoes, bro. I don't care what shoes you're wearing. But obviously he had an issue of thinking I don't like his shoes. And so he reflects that on me, and he's like, Pastor John doesn't like my shoes. And I know how that works. Our brain is creative. Our brain adds stuff that's not there. And so I know he's like, I can't believe it. I'm in church today. He should love everybody. He doesn't love me because i got shoes on. He's looking at my shoes, a shoe judger of shoes. Look at his shoes. They're not even good. They're... He's got two right shoes on the different feet. Look at him. He can't even put a left shoe on. What's wrong with that man? shoes. a judge of a shoes. And so then he gets in his car. He's driving home. He just hates shoes. He probably hates everything I'm wearing. He looked at me today and I think he looked me up and down. And yeah, he hates my shoes, but he hates my pants. And he hates my shirt. He hates my shirt. He gets home. He's having a cup of coffee. I bet you he hates me. I bet you he hates me. He looked at me today. He, I know he's looking at me, but he's looking into my soul, and he hates me. I bet you he hates people. He hates. How can you even be a pastor and hate people? He's a hater of people. He looked at me like he looked at everybody else, because he's a hater of people. Next thing, he's got his calculator out. He's adding up. Kerry John Morgan and one five, and the of take away the seven, and what? It's six six six. His name's adds up. That's what how it goes. Or start out looking at a shoe and now I'm the Antichrist. <laughs> it's a reflection of other people as the, the team comes up. Here's the last thought. Uh, also, when it comes to destiny, don't discount the input from smart people. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do, you not, do not go up for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. Look what it says here. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp and they were destroyed. So while while you need to avoid negative, it's it's good to hang around smart people. It's good to find people who are spiritual, who pray, who have spiritual maturity, who have experience in church life. It's good to surround yourself with smart people, people who will give you input. Moses is trying to give them input, but they presume that they know. It's a danger when no one can tell you no. It's a danger when no one can give you input. My style of leadership is collaborative. Collaborative. You talk to anybody that's close in my world of leadership and how we lead the church, we, we're, we're not into everybody, you know, just uh, necessarily even agreeing, but we're, we're collaborative. We're not, we're not after consensus, but we are after collaboration. I told our, our pastoral team, and I've told our deacons this before, when we're in the room, I don't care how hostile it gets and, and, and your opinion and the debate, And the argument in the room is fine. But when we get to the end, let's have some collaboration. And when we walk out, we're in unity. That's how the kingdom's supposed. But we've got to be able to have the discussion. And I'm smart enough to know I'm not always the smartest man in the room. And so I don't purport as the pastor to be the smart. I'm smart enough to know I'm not that smart. I run things through my wife. She is smart. Like she's super smart. She got the gift of smartness. It's like the eighth gift of the spirit. But you can think you know, but you don't know. And it's a problem when you think you know, but you don't know. And you don't know, you don't know. That's the problem with not knowing. You don't know, you don't know, but you don't know, you don't know. But you don't know, but you don't know, you don't know. So you think you know, but you don't know that you don't know and you can't know that you know because you don't know that you don't know. So you need smart people to go, hey, you don't know. When I was, when I was 16, I, I did an apprenticeship as a chef, and we were doing trade school, and we were getting taught how to cook. And I remember being in this lesson when they were teaching the basic sauces, and they were talking about the bechamel, and they were teaching about, you know, hollandaise, they were teaching about uh, espanol, they teach about different, different sauces that are there. And so they were teaching about the espanol, the brown sauce is a base sauce, and then they said, a demi is also a base sauce. You take Espanol, you add some stock, you reduce it by half, and now you've got a demi that's a base sauce. I put up my hand, it says, it can't be. They're like, what do you mean it can't be? Well, it can't be, because you've already made a sauce. You made the brown sauce, you've added some stock to the brown sauce, you've reduced it to make another sauce, you've got a whole different sauce made out of the original sauce. So it can't be a, brown, it can't be a base sauce. It is a base sauce. But I'm like, you can't be a base sauce. The teacher's like, it is a base sauce. I'm like, it can't be. can't be a base. I'm 16. I've been cooking for six months, and I know more than the teacher. <laughs> and I, I, I argued so much and so well. He actually got other teachers into the room to defend his position with all the students going, for the love of all things, holy, shut up, it's a base sauce. I went back to my boss, who was French, and I told him, I had an argument about base sauce. He said, yadamoran. It's like, <laughs> punched me in the face. And, and you think I'd learn. But when I planted my church in New Zealand, and I went to one of the pastors to ask me some advice, and he didn't give me any advice. I sat with him for an hour. He just uh, he asked about me. I'm like, I want inv- advice. But I realized why he never gave me advice. Because he gave me two bits of advice. Don't appoint leaders in a hurry and always wash your hands after an altar call. And neither of those things did I do. Why? Because I'm smarter than the average bear. So I appointed people too early and I got myself into all problems and I didn't wash my hands after an altar call and got meningitis. These are things I should have listened to. But you think you know and I thought I would have learned but I didn't learn. But I've learned over the years there's just some things that you don't know. So surround yourself with smart people. When you've got a God told me, have some smart people who can help you make sure it's a God told me. When you think you want to make this move, have some people in your life that can ask you the hard questions to make sure that you know. Smart people aren't necessarily negative people. They're just going to ask you questions like, that's a big giant. How do you plan to defeat it? Holy Spirit, hover over us today. Lord, we are, we are a room full of destinations And we are a room full of destiny. Lord, a room of people that you have created for such a time as this, stamped and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we pray that you would overshadow us today in the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus. Do that in our lives, we pray today. That's our prayer right here, right now.